Let's give AC a round of applause for that. I don't know if that shocked you more or the price of summer camp. I don't know which was more shocking to you. Was, yeah. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Warren. I'm one of your pastors. I'm glad to be with you as we continue on in our Servant King series in the book of Isaiah. You know, I remember early on when Jordan and I were dating, we had one of our most tense periods of our dating relationship. It was more tense for me than for her. It was like our first Christmas together, right? And it was extremely tense. And it wasn't tense for like the reasons that you guys would think, right? Probably the reason that you're thinking was like, well, maybe I was going to meet her family and her dad and her brothers were going to grill me with like 100 questions or something like that. Wasn't anything like that. It had to do with the type of gift that I wanted to buy her. And so Jordan and I had talked um, prior to uh, Christmas and some of the things that she had indicated that she wanted. She was really into her athleisure flow, which many of you guys are, right? She's into her athleisure and she just wanted a solid pair of sneakers. It's like a solid pair of sneakers. Like that's a total, totally like reasonable ask. Like she wasn't asking for like her namesake and sneakers or like just like a regular pair of sneakers that she could wear as she went on the go. And so that shouldn't have been anxiety inducing, but it was. And I'll tell you why in a second. And so I went to Arizona Mills, went to the Nike factory store, picking out the shoes. I found the exact ones I wanted. And as I'm picking them out, I'm feeling this anxiety. Because in the back of my mind, right, as I'm bringing that box of Nikes to the register, I could just hear my mom's voice. Hear my mom's voice in the back back of my head. And I know what my mom would be saying is, I can't believe that you're buying the person you love shoes. <laughs> Don't you know you never do that because that means they're going to walk out of your life. <laughs> and so I'm considering that, right? Because I'm really invested in this relationship. I think it can go far, right? And I'm like, am I dooming this relationship? My mom's been right about a lot of things, right? And so I went and bought the shoes, and thankfully, Jordan hasn't walked out of my life in her Nikes. But I think just, you know, along the course of our relationship, I realized how many of these kind of rituals that I grew up kind of hearing and even kind of like practicing, right? So my mom, Bible-believing Christian, she, I think she just loves the Bible so much that she added like some of her own proverbs and practices to it. (laughs) And so, like, there are all these rituals, right? There are all these sort of rituals that we grew up with. Let me share a couple of them with you. I think as I've looked back on them, I'm like, what? Why? Um, We used to wash, but like, let's say if a loaf of bread or some bread expired, we couldn't just throw it out. We had to wash it first, like run it underwater, and then throw it out. I don't know. Maybe it was like that was a way to, like, it wouldn't be wasted. I don't know. Um, if my bigger sister, if my older sister was like lying down on the floor, I couldn't step over her because if I stepped over her, that meant she wouldn't grow. <laughs> Inexplicable, y'all. And uh, another one was like, hey, if you go to someone's house and you have a bag or, you know, ladies, if you have a purse, you can't put the bag on the floor because that means that you're going to be broke. And I was like, well, maybe that's why my 20s were the way they were. I don't know. <laughs> But there were all these sort of like rituals, and I know they sound crazy, but for my sports fans out there, it's not that crazy, right? Like we all know the rally cap, right? 
You wear your cap inside out, and that's supposed to like turn the tide for your team. I've been doing it for the Jets. I've been wearing my hat every single sort of way. None of it's work. But we get this, right? We practice ritual, right? And we practice these rituals with the thought that like, hey, if I just do this thing, it's going to change the outcome of whatever I'm hoping. You know, it will change the outcome. It will get luck on my side in some way. And so I think it's a good image, right, as we dive into Isaiah 58, um, as we continue on in our series, because as we get in Isaiah, what we're going to see is that empty ritual, right, empty ritual, all these rituals that don't actually change the effect of, of the outcomes that we're hoping for. This empty sort of ritual has arisen among God's people. They've taken the good practice of fasting, Right? The practice that's supposed to be a means for them to experience a greater sense of the presence of God. Right? They've taken that and they've turned it into empty ritual. And so what the question we'll be looking at today is this. Right? Is how does God call his people away from an empty religious practice right, to a practice or to a practice of faith that actually is worshipful to him? That's what we're going to be looking at today. Right? And as we turn, there's promises. There's a promise that God promises to his people as they worship him in truth. And so that's where we're going to be going today. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Isaiah 58. Um, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, I thank you that uh, we get to hear from it each week and to be formed and shaped by it. Lord, I pray that you would open our minds and our hearts to receive it now. God, lead our time this morning in your name. Amen. All right, so we are going to start off in Isaiah 58. I'm going to reread verse 1 through 5. Not as good as AC did for sure, but um, we're, going to, we're going to be in Isaiah 58 and start in verses 1 to 5. It says this, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek, to, they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers." Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself. Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Hmm. The first thing we see is this. God rejects the empty, self-serving ritual of his people. And so to kind of place ourselves of where we are in this series, right? We've said it time and time again. Israel finds itself in exile. The people of God find themselves in exile. And in the midst of their exile, they've received all these warnings, right? Of like, hey, don't turn to idols. Hey, remember, God is in control. God is with you. Remember his faithfulness in the past, right? Remember how he's delivered you from all sorts of horrors and terrible situations. 
right? And not only that, he's given them this promise that he's going to be their rescuer in the future, right? He's sending this servant king to ultimately rescue them. And so God has been trying to center his people. He's been trying to remind them, right, of their, their relationship with him, right? That he loves them, that he's with them, that he hasn't left them. But even in the midst of their, even now in the midst of their exile, they're still kind of unsure. There's still some uncertainty. They're still wondering, God, are you with us? Right? And so they feel like they've been crying out to God and he's been silent towards them. Right? They feel like they've had, to, uh, uh, they've had to face all sorts of horrors and injustice and they've been crying out to God. And they're like, God, why aren't you answering me? Right? And so they take up fasting. This practice, which was abstaining from food for a certain period of time, right, to gain a greater sense of God's presence and to uh, remind ourselves, to remind, uh, be reminded of our dependence on him. They take up fasting and they got the ashes going and the sackcloth. And I even imagine they have like that hat my boy John wears, the little hat with, with no brim on it. And they're going to God and they're like, hey, God, we have been humbled. Don't you see us? Don't you see how we are bowing in humility towards us? Why aren't you answering us? But while you can fool people, while we can fool people with our outward appearances, we can't fool God. Can't fool God. So he says, hold on one second. While you're giving off the appearance of true worship, your motivations, your heart, your actions couldn't be further away from me. He says in verse three that they're fasting for their own selfish pleasure, right? They think that they're in a give to get relationship with God. And while they're fasting, it's not actually making them more like him. They're oppressing their workers. They're fighting with each other. Right? It's, it's anything but reflecting the God that they serve. And so God rejects their empty ritual. God says, I don't desire spiritual practice that is empty and self-serving. It's not going to get me on your side. It's rejected. You know what? This one, right? this particular passage hit home to me in a lot of ways because there have been times where I've practiced my faith like this. Let me paint the picture for you. You know, I think about in the mornings, I love my quiet time. I love my quiet time. I love like being able to wake up, you know, early in the morning, open my Bible before I do anything else and just like get some concentrated time in scripture, right? And usually I'll, you know, I'll open up to one of my favorite parts of scripture, Philippians 2, where Paul talks about the self-sacrificial love of God. And I'm there, and I'm just captivated. I'm like reading God's word. And in the room next door, my daughter, Elliot, she's three years old. She woke up, and she's just on one. And Jordan, my wife, she's trying to wrangle her. And clearly, like, she needs someone to tag in. Like, hey, come on. Like, I need some reinforcements here. But I'm just so captivated by Philippians 2. And I'm like, wow, the self-sacrificial love of God. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? You know, I think if God could, if he spoke audibly to me in that moment, he would say, dummy, go apply Philippians 2 in the room next door. How about that? 
reminded that God calls me not to just faithful Bible reading, but faithful present parenting, right? Right? And this is what can happen with a lot of these practices, right? They become ways for us to kind of gain peace, protect our inner peace, instead of being ways for us to be shaped and formed like Jesus for the sake of others. Right? At times, what we have to do is discipline our disciplines. Discipline our discipline for the sake of others. Because if we, aren't, if we aren't careful about these things, it can quickly become the self-serving sort of worship that we're talking about today. And so my first question for you is this, as you practice your faith, are there parts of it that have become more self-serving ritual, right, than, pra- than practices that are supposed to form and shape you into Jesus for the sake of others? I even think sometimes that our practices are weak because we go at them alone, right? And when we go at our faith alone, what it looks like often is like me when I go to the gym alone. Like sometimes I go to the gym alone and you know, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna knock out all these things. And then, you know, I kind of just go in there, I lack motivation, I do a couple of things. And then I just kind of walk out as quick as possible to make sure the front desk people don't see me and be like, yeah, you just got here. <laughs> and like, You know, I don't actually accomplish what I set out to accomplish because it would have been a lot more beneficial to me right, to have somebody with me, right, to have somebody to hold me accountable, for me to grow with. And I've heard the quote that goes, we go faster alone and further together. And I feel like that's, that's our faith very often. Right? Think, we think sometimes that prayer has to be this individual effort. Right? We find prayer boring because we're like, oh, we have to go to our prayer closet or just be in solitude. And I feel like that has its place. But sometimes I think we can engage prayer with our community, with our eyes open, right? Walking our neighborhoods, having our eyes open, looking around to the different places around us and asking God's kingdom to break through in those places. We can think reading our Bible has to be done with quiet time and like our ears and our attention shut off to the world around us. And some of us just need to hear that God's grace can be dispensed beyond 5 a.m. Right? Sometimes it's better to open his word just within the boundaries of community, right? And as you open his word, sometimes you can say, hey, God, maybe like bring, let me open your word with somebody that I have nothing else in common with besides the Holy Spirit in us. And let's open your word, let's open your word together. And you can, as you engage in community, sometimes the, the, the perspectives, right, that other people can bring can open your eyes to different things about God, right? And you can ask him, hey, Lord, grow us in unity together, grow us in love together. Let your word not just be for our information, but for our transformation. And so as we engage in our faith, the question we always want to just be asking ourselves is, are these practices growing us in love for God and others? Are the things we do in growing us for love and God, for God and others? I think just a side note too, is it's like, we have to learn how to embrace interruptions. Learn to embrace interruptions by the kids, by the spouse, by the roommates, whoever it may be. Right? Learn to take the places of our frustration and say, God, how can this be used for your fulfillment? There's a God who not just orders our steps along the way, he orders our stops. Amen? You see, empty ritual 
can never get God on his people's side. Because it's always by and through his grace. It's not by their ritual. They can't gain it by ritual. It's his grace dispensed to them. And so what he wants them to understand, right, if they are recipients of grace, they should be ones who are extending grace to the people around them. Let's continue in Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. Continue with me now. It says this, Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So God says this, the type of fast that is acceptable to him is one that looks outward to the needs of those who are suffering and broken among his people around his people, the poor and overlooked, the fast that is acceptable to God is the fast that points them, not inward, not just inwards, but outwards. And so God sees past the empty, self-serving rituals, right? Said you can't fool God. But you see, while he rejects those rituals, he doesn't reject fasting as a whole. There's a fast that is acceptable to him. There is a fast that is honoring to him. But it's not just about them getting their inner peace. It's not just about them going through rituals. You see, God has been hearing the cries of his people. But here's what he's saying. He's saying, hey, while you're complaining that you are being deprived of justice, when I actually look at things for what they really are, you are the ones that are doing that. You are the ones that are depriving people of justice. And, you know, I was thinking about this and I was like, it's easy to understand how they got here. Because how do we act when we're in a place where we feel threatened? We don't often think about, well, how can I use this moment for the sake of others? No, when our backs are against the wall, we start to think about all we have to lose and all we have to protect. And I think that's what they're feeling as they're in this place of exile. Right? Rather than trusting, God, trusting God's control, rather than trusting that his presence remains with them, rather than trusting in his promises, they are trusting in their self-protection and preservation. But you see, God, God will not settle for that from his people because he has put a call on his people. His call on his people is this, that they are blessed to be a blessing. They are blessed to be a, a blessing. Their identity right, hasn't changed just because they're in exile. No, actually, it's their identity that's going to allow them to live faithful in the tough circumstances that they're in. And so he says this, he doesn't want his people to hunker down. He wants his people to continue to represent him, represent his heart towards those who are suffering. They can't become consumed so much with all of their inward turmoil, right, that they lose vision, for those who are suffering around them. They must keep their outward focus. God says, get on offense. Don't stand pat on defense. And what, he, what does he tell them? He says, go and loose the bonds of wickedness. Go and care for those who are homeless. Don't hide yourself from people who are made of the same flesh and bone like you. 
Let your prayer be more than just empty words. You know, as I was considering this part, I was like, man, what is one of the critiques that is very often lobbed towards Christians, right? You guys are just people of thoughts and prayers. Just thoughts and prayers. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. I think the first one would be, I think sometimes the culture outside of church, the culture maybe who say they would not believe in God, they have a low view of God in prayer very often. But I think sometimes the reason why that can be is because when these difficult things happen, right, we say we're going to pray, and we actually don't. We actually don't. We're like that friend where you tell, you, you know, you're, you're like sharing something, and they're like, I'm going to pray for you, and you know that was their prayer. Like, there's not going to be an actual prayer that follows. But like, in the, I think in the absence of actually praying, we can offer empty words. Because when we pray, right, or if we actually pray, maybe God will give us some tangible ways to move towards some of the broken things that we experience. I think in our times, I, I often experience a lot of people talking, few people acting, and fewer people praying. And so one of the ways we try to push against this as a church is through like the Tempe Tents and the prayer and action groups, right? The, we, we believe that God has called us into this specific place in the city of Tempe. We're not just here by chance, right? And so we are blessed to be a blessing. All right, and we have to care for those who are suffering all around us, right? those who are in need around us. And so God is calling us to care for the homeless, right? the homeless who we often pass, and they're kind of just like, they can often feel like just a sign on the roadway right, as we pass them. God is calling us to care for the elderly, right? the elderly who are very often pushed to the margins of society. Right? And the only interaction we have is when we're annoyed because they're driving too slow and southern. Right? God is calling us to care for those who are in the working poor. Right? That's why we do the Rio Vista Center to provide groceries. That's why we have these uh, affordable housing groups that are helping to press into affordable housing for those who are just trying to make it. And so here's the thing. We want to be people who pray hard, right? Because I feel like when we start talking about actions, prayer can go out the window. But we want to be people of prayer. And we want to be people who say, God, through our prayer, fuel our action. Fuel us. Don't make us people of empty words. Help us to move in the direction of those who are suffering around us. And so this is the community we try to be. This is the community we want to be, a community that's, that's built right on prayer-fueled action, prayer-centered action. It's even part of the reasons why we have the events we have here, like a renewal night, right? It's not just part of it is to come into worship, but also is to be filled up so that you can be sent out and be a person of renewal wherever God has called you. That's why we do a lot of the, is to equip and to send you into these different things God is, different places God is calling you. And so I think if we're going to be a community like this, right, we've got some real questions we can be asking ourselves and how we make our choices each day. I can't list them all here, but here are some ones to just think about. What's our flinch when we get the pay raise from work? How do we think about where we're going to live? How do we think about how we're going to spend our time? Are all those things centered around our own joy and fulfillment? Or is there a thought with, God, how can I use my talents, my time, my treasure 
for those who are in need around me? What are the, another question would be this, what are the places we pass each day? And maybe in our vocabulary, we'd be like, oh, that's a sketchy spot. Right? Instead of just maybe letting it die there, you know, can we pray for those places? Maybe God is asking some of us to take some tangible steps into those places and to be his presence there. What I know is this, is that when the kingdom of God comes in full, those places will not be annexed. We can pray for God's kingdom to break through in those places. I think another question would be this, is there a place where anger has substituted a practical step of ministry? Where instead, you know, you feel very motivated or you feel very angered by something. But instead of actually praying and saying, God, hey, maybe you want me to do something here. You go and you tweet it or you post it to your 500 followers who 450 of them already agree with you. Maybe God is calling you to not use up all your energies just being angry. To move tangibly. I think for me, my prayer in this area is often, God, just help me to care. Help me to care more. Help me to pray in ways that gives me a kingdom vision. That says, God, your kingdom is coming. Help me to pray and say, God, help me to, uh, uh, to see this place with your eyes, eyes that don't grow tired. And I pray this way because I know that there are many options available to th- of things I can do, but being indifferent is not one of them. It's not one of them. So we embrace this identity. We are blessed to be a blessing. However things happen, whatever happens this year, we are going to continue to live this way, embrace mission, love our neighbors, love our enemies, and trust that God's Spirit's going to lead us. Amen? And so God promises out of that, right? As his people turn away from themselves and towards him, he promises them that they're going to experience a blessing. Right, beyond what they could imagine at every level of their lives. Let's wrap up in verses 8 through 12. It says this, um, then shall your light break forth. Oh, man, the light is breaking forth right now. <laughs> then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom shall be as the noonday. As the, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall rise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So there's a lot there that God is promising his people, right? He promises them that when they live this way, right, when they actually live in obedience, hearts turn outwards, that they are going to experience his true blessing, true blessing. 
So God, he wants to bring, he wants to honor his people's obedience. He wants to bring blessing to every single area of their life. He talks about the blessing that they'll experience when they live this way. It'll be beyond just, it'll be holistic, right? It'll be the physical blessing of healing. Uh, there'll be blessings of the, the, the places or uh, the, the towns or uh, where they've come from that's been torn down, being rebuilt. There'll be all those sorts of blessings, but they will also experience this blessing of closeness with God. Right? They won't have to ask that question like they asked of, hey, God, do you hear us? No, he says he's going to be with them. He's going to be with them in the scorched places. He's going to be with them in the midst of their most difficult things. And not only will he heal them, physically, even internally, right? He talks about he's going to remove the gloom and the dread they're feeling. And so it's clear here, right, as we read all this, that God wants to bless his people. He wants to give his people true blessing. But the path that they take is going to be, it's going to have to be his way. It's going to be his way. They're going to have to trust that the path that he's telling them to take is better than what they can gain by their own self-preservation or protection, their own self-serving worship. And so God wants to bless his people in all this way, but they're going to have to turn away from their own needs and turn towards those who are hurting. I turn towards those who are suffering. And you know what? I've heard many messages like this in church. And I love to hear it, but oftentimes I hate to do it. And I know it's going to be inconvenient. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. I know it's going to slow me down, the guy who loves to live on a New York minute, right? Like, it's going to require a different pace of life, right? And it often feels like we want the crown of glory without the pain of the cross, right? And you know what? As we look at the church historically, if we look at the early church, I know some are like, oh, here comes the early church again. They were full of sinners just like us. But the reality is, is like, I think sometimes they got this a bit better, right? Like they turned in sacrificial love to those, to others around them, others who are suffering and hurting, even at the expense of their own life sometimes. Or you think about how they moved in the, uh, during the, the plague, right? They went into the towns and cared for these people knowing it was going to cost them their lives. They went in, early, in the early church in Rome as babies were being <clears throat> abandoned. They would pick them up off the street and care for them at their own expense, even as it may have indicated that they were Christians and put their lives at risk. It's they, they, they realized right, that there was a God who was with them, even, even if they were uh, being killed. They experienced the reality of his presence with them. And they said, God's presence is better than anything we can, the world could ever offer us. So they lived this way. And I think what it often comes to our life, we want another growth strategy. We want another blessing strategy. But this is God's strategy. This is the life that God is calling his people towards. Right? This isn't just an Old Testament word. This is what continues all throughout Scripture, this theme of us as God's people living in a Christ-centered love that is willing to bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. This is the shape of the Christian life. 
And when we live this way, we can be confident that the satisfaction, the peace, the presence of God will be experienced. will be experienced by any better than any other way that we think we can gain it in our world. I'll say this, guys. We, we live in a very introspective, inward-focused, deal-with-all-your-inner-emotions time. And as someone maybe who is not as good with all of that, right? I know it's important. I get it's important. We need to take care of ourselves. My wife was a therapist. She's talked to me all about it. I get it. But I also think, right, that we need to take care of ourselves. But I've found in my own life that when I've sacrificially and obediently chose to show love, right? God's perfect love comes and fills all sorts of voids in my life as it pours out and spills over to others. Right? And there's a healing that happens. There's a witness that happens as people are drawn to God. And there's a reminder for me that God is a healer. God is a healer. A friend of mine said this week, if we waited until we were perfectly healed to love others, we never would. And so Jesus is calling us, church. Jesus is calling you to embrace this way of living and loving others. And it may require some things of us. It may require us to slow, slow down. It may require us to seek out relationships that we most, most probably would not seek out if it was on our own strength or on our own way. It may require us to sign up to serve somewhere and actually commit to serving there. It may require us to seek forgiveness and reconciliation from people that we've written off. It may require all sorts of discomfort. But we can trust right, that if God is calling us to this work, we don't do the work by our own strength. He gives us the grace to overcome every obstacle and challenge that we'll face. I know some of you are like, well, is this a works-based salvation? No. Right? The work of Christ approves us, and his grace moves us in this direction. So here's what I, so I'll tell you. God wants you to live a great life. Right? Some of you are like, what? No, it's not that type of church, right? God wants you to live a great life. It's just not by our definition of greatness. It's not by our definition of greatness. It's by the definition of the greatest man who's ever lived. It's Jesus, God and man in the flesh. And here's how he showed us God's greatness, right? God's greatness is in his reign over creation, right? He is great in that way. But his greatness is most perfectly seen because he gets near to broken people, he gets near to broken people like you and I. Right? When we look at Jesus, what did he do? He was moving towards the poor and feeding them. He was moving towards the sick and healing them. And ultimately, as we are going to remember here on Good Friday, he moved towards the cross for sinners like you and I. Moved towards broken people. I had a friend from New York this week that visited me. He knew me from the BC days. And he was like, I can't believe you're a Christian. I was like, bro, me neither. <laughs> me neither, man. But it's not because of I ascended to some understanding. It's the grace of God, the love of God moving towards me when I was at my worst. 
moving towards me when I was at my most broken state and moving in love and grace and forgiveness and turning my life towards him. And here's the thing. As Jesus moved to the cross, he didn't stay in the grave. He was raised to glory. And as he took this path, this was the path that actually led him to have the name that is above every single name on heaven and earth. Jesus Christ. Right? And so if he loves us this much, he's not going to take us on another path. He is going to take us on this same path. And it may require some suffering. It may require some sacrifices. It may require some hard things that we may have to go through. But we can trust in the one who's leading us, church. We can be confident. We can be confident that there will be a day when we are reigning with him in glory. And all that stuff that we've had to experience will be far outweighed by the glory that we are experiencing as we reign with him. This is the path to greatness. This is the path that our Lord is leading us on. We can trust him. We can be confident. We can hold fast to our faith, knowing the one who has promised it is faithful. A great life indeed. Amen. As we come to the table, we remember that we are able to experience this great life, not because of our own strength, not because of anything we did, but because the love of our Savior, the love of our God, who moved towards broken people like you and I, as he went towards the cross. On the cross, his body is given for us. His blood was shed for us. We remember on a day like this, our humble king who rode in to Jerusalem, ready to die for us, did all that so we can experience this great life of eternity, eternal relationship with God. And so we take communion each week in worship of him, trusting his work that empowers us to live faithfully as God's people. And so I'm going to pray, and I invite you, after I'm finished praying, if you are a follower of Jesus, come forward for communion. Let's sing out in worship. And I would invite you, right, if you have that same prayer, maybe like I do, Lord, help me to care more. Come forward. There are people who would love to pray with and for you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we know, Lord, God, that everything we talked about today, the people that you've called us to be, the life you've called us into, none of it would be possible if it was just based on our own efforts. Lord, we need your grace and we have it. And so, God, help us to live as recipients of grace and not withhold grace from anyone. Help us to live in love towards others, God, remembering our own condition before you saved us. God, turn us, Lord, from an inward practice of faith to an outward focus. God, open, give us eyes to see the kingdom not just, God, worship you for our own benefit or for what we can get. Give us hearts that love deeply and see deeply like you do. In your name, amen.